Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. I'm really excited today because we've got a great guest who has transacted on over 1,500 property purchases and sales. He is the MD of Open Property Group, a leading professional property cash buying company. Welcome, Jason Harris-Cohen. Thanks for coming. Yeah, morning, Rod. Thanks very much for having me. How are you doing today? Yeah, we're all well, thank you. As good as we all can be in this unusual environment we're in at the moment. Yeah, we were just having a quick chat before we kind of click record here, just about what's happening with the market at the moment. I mean, having all these bank holidays, you said, doesn't probably help, but it, it does seem a bit of a strange one, doesn't it? Sure, yeah. So, Jason, do you want to give us a bit of background as to kind of how you came to start Open Property Group with the cash buying property business? What, what's your background and how did you get here? So, look, I've always had a very keen interest in property. I think sort of growing up, you know, watching the likes of Sarah Beanie and uh, Location Location, Homes Under the Hammer, etc. Um, I had some sort of distant family members who were you know, quite renowned property developers, et cetera, at the time. So always kind of aspired to take that route and really just started out in in agency. So I had a, a second cousin who had a property company and I was got consistently knocking on his door and just saying, look, have you got an opportunity for me as I was sort of coming out of A-levels? And he kept sort of rejecting me, basically, and, and saying, look, you know, he had a big company, very experienced team. You know, a lot of them were sort of academically probably a lot more qualified than me and it's just persistence really he kept knocking on the door he's finally got to have a meeting he said look go and working agency you know do a couple of years for an estate agent understand the basics and then come back and let's have a chat so I'd done that I went to work for an agency in Middlesex called Roll Feast started out there two years and you know, just kind of went from strength to strength become one of the leading negotiators in the company we was kind of having weekly reviews who was highest performing negotiator and i was sort of regularly up there either first or in the top three i felt like i proved myself and then went back to my cousin stephen and said look you know this is what i've done i'd like the opportunity now and he said look i can't blame you for your persistence i think i'm gonna have to give you the job <laughs> <laughs> so in i think it was 2007 yeah 2007 eight Finally got the chance to work there, a company called Swift Capital, as kind of a junior buyer, and worked really alongside him. So Stephen, I say my second cousin, you know, veteran property trader. He's completed probably a few thousand transactions over his lifestyle, bought lots throughout the 70s and 80s, you know, regulated tenancies, blocks of apartments, portfolios. So had a good, very good pedigree and reputation. And it was just, you know, an absolute eye-opener. We kind of went there. Loads of deals were being done. I was working with some great salespeople, listening to their pitches, you know, watching them convert deals. And it was just really exciting. So I kind of worked there. I was there for about seven years. Again, worked my way up the ranks to a point at the end where I was essentially operation manager, if you like, of the business. So not just was I getting involved in the acquisition, but also very much involved in the strategy, the marketing, you know, all different areas. I was essentially acting as 
Stephen right, Stephen's right hand man. And I guess and, marketing must have been an enormous part of a business like that to bring in all those leads. Yeah, it was huge. I so say he was one of the original kind of property buying companies, if you like. I so say yeah. that they owned you know, a huge portfolio of regulated tenancies. So it was very interested in watching that investment class. They also have an FCA regulated company which done home reversion plans and equity release. And then they also done sale and rent backs before it was abolished, yeah. um, before they had the investigation by the OFT. And learned the ranks there, done, probably completed myself about 200 transactions when I was there. And when I left, I would say I was the leading property buyer in the company. So kind of doing the most deals. I think my record year was a million pound profit for the business in property trading. Wow. So I, I kind of left there. You know, quite confident. I think I just always aspired to do better. I wanted to do my own thing. You yeah. know, I felt like I was doing so much there, so much responsibility. I was essentially, uh, why not do it for myself? Mm. So I kind of started just networking and having conversations with some other sort of high net worths that I knew to say, look, you know, I'd love to do this myself, but I need some capital. So after various conversations, I sat down with a good friend of mine's father and another guy who was a very successful entrepreneur, which founded a company which he sold for a significant amount and basically asked for a million pound shareholders agreements, original million pound shareholders loan into the business, mm-hmm. which we done in 2014 when I founded Open Property Group. You know, that million pound got spent very quickly, probably about a month it lasted before I was going back cap in hand to say, look, I need more. And I remember starting, it was just, you know, a daunting process like everyone will relate to when they set up a business. But, oh no, have have I made the right step here? What do I do? I've gone from a good salary, you know, good commission income to being left with like a pile of leads on my desk thinking, when's the phone going to start ringing? (laughs) So, uh, you know, after many sleepless nights, like we all have when we take that next step, I was you know, just, I had a re- always had a real keen interest in marketing. I think that's key as well, especially if you can kind of do that yourself. So I've kind of put together a strategy, you know, a marketing plan. At that time, it was a lot easier to start ranking on for search engine optimization in Google. So, you know, it was quite, you just added keywords to your website, got good keyword density, and suddenly you was on page one. So suddenly just started generating leads, started national newspaper marketing, leaflet distribution, you know, to a point where on a Sunday I was taking my now wife walking the streets, delivering leaflets down roads. So in the area, and funny enough, I lived in Beaconsfield at the time. So I went around canvassing all the roads. I selected which roads I was going to canvass, get hand delivering leaflets and anyone I could know and pay a bit of money on the side to start delivering. And I landed a deal. Someone had a property in Sheffield that they called up, I couldn't believe my luck when they called, said, I've got a property, an ex-buy to let, I'd like to sell it in Sheffield. So bang, first deal was done. And then off I was, I bought that property, you know, I had to do just a sort of general clearance, got the grass cut and got it on the market and ended up making 20,000 profit. So once that happened, it was, I was away and off I went, you know, reinvested the money. We had a good marketing budget as it was, and then sort of built it from there. Brilliant. And I just want to pick up on that marketing point, because any any sort of property trader or probably cash buying business that I've spoken to, marketing seems to be almost the most important thing, really, for bringing in leads. I mean, how would you say your marketing kind of strategy has changed since 2014? 
what have been some of the major kind of changes or, or major even breakthroughs, I guess? One thing we've had to massively increase the budget, that's for sure. I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, the market now, like most markets, though, it's so much more crowded and competitive than it was when we started, although it was still crowded when, when we started. I think, you know, the rise of social media and property networking events, you know, there's so many people now who are just doing this in their own in their own local market. So we're just really, well, we've obviously tried and tested stuff. So it's we've had to, you know, kiss a lot of frogs, if you like. We've established a kind of strong strategy with a consistent budget. A lot of it now has evolved from offline to online. So everything now is digital marketing. And we've just got, we know what kind of works for us. So a lot of it is Google AdWords, which we spend, you know, a significant amount monthly on search engine optimization, you know, social media. I think it's just all about that brand awareness. So just the more you can get in people's faces, and build up yourself a reputation as a business and also as an individual, if you like, you know, thought leadership, et cetera. It's just putting it out there and then coming across, you know, different network, different walks of life. I mean, how does it compare versus sort of inbound inquiries that are coming from the back of that marketing to, I guess, going out and getting outbound leads? So going and contacting different people and things like that. What's is there a big difference? So the ratio, about 70% of ours is inbound. Okay. Which know, shows obviously market... the marketing's working. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. our marketing budget is well in excess of 60000 a month. Yeah. Whereas when we started, it was 5000 a month. <laughs> so like any business, you know, it's consistent reinvestment in the business yeah. and in marketing, which could pay dividends in time to come. Yeah. It's not all instant. You know, we might drop a leaflet or a letter to a client who then thinks in two years time it's now time to sell you know so many examples where people have had our letter on their fridge you know it's been sitting by their phone whatever it might be that time comes you know and they think great that's the company i want to speak to and actually what's been great about our business is so much of it is repeat business and like reputation if you deliver a good service that customer word of mouth is just invaluable I think you've hit the nail on the head there with kind of consistency and things like that. Because even in my business, we're definitely not traders, but we we try to buy as much as we can. And I'd say 90% of what we buy, we probably offered on 12 to 24 months before. And it's just being consistent, following up and things like that, which really does help. So I guess for you, it's a lot of it is about being front of mind when it comes to that crunch point of, those sellers deciding actually yeah it's time to sell that's it and i think for us one of the absolute game changers has been a significant investment in technology that's Mm. the biggest evolution we've seen you know marketing yes it's been consistent yes it's scaled but actually technology has been revolutionary for the business because you know everything is about nurturing it's about that customer experience it's about like you said front of mind you know we're sending out mail shots to our database weekly we are constantly contacting customers with technology automation and workflows. Mm. You know, for example, if we send an offer out today, customer gets a repeat reminder by text and email seven days later, again, 14 days later, 28 days later, sorry, 21 days later. So it's constantly that nurturing of that database. And by using technology and investing heavily in our CRM, it's enabled us to a significantly reduce headcount in the office mm-hmm. because of that automation, and b be able to just actively manage our database. Fantastic. 
And when you are getting kind of sellers come through, is the main reason for them wanting to sell still kind of like typical divorce, death, debt, that sort of thing that means people need to sell quickly and the types of kind of sellers that you would be coming across? Or is it different? It is different. Yeah, it's it's very, very broad. You know, all types of problem situation scenarios. Not many is to do with, you know, we don't see much debt related. We're not, you know, essentially buying much distress. People think it is, to be honest, in the quick sale cash buying industry. It's not. A lot of it is speed and certainty. You know, people don't want hassle. They've been let down in the past. They've had a bad experience. You know, they want to come to us because they want that peace of mind. So we just offer that speed and certainty. A lot of it is to do with, you know, a chain breaking. So, you know, sale falls through last minute, agent or customer calls us to say, would we step in and complete the chain? Which works quite well, because if there is three or four links in the chain, you know, we're up front, we generally will offer 20% below market price. Mm -hmm. Seller pays no fees, we pay their legal costs. So if they sell to us, that 20% can get spread between the rest of the links in the chain sometimes. Right. Okay. So if someone's particularly motivated, they might say, well, I'll drop my price 5%. So then our customer is actually only accepting 15% less. So that, that happens quite regularly and it works really well to complete the chain. Also, with some of the stamp duty reliefs, such as chain breaking relief, you know, we can then save stamp duty if we're rescuing an abortive chain. Ah, okay. I didn't actually, I wasn't aware of that one. So so how does that work? Is it just if you're rescuing the chain, it's, is it? A yeah, there, there's obviously a lot, yeah, there's obviously a lot of the criteria. You have to check oh. the HMRC policy. There are various stamp duty reliefs. You know, yeah. one, one we regularly use is multiple dwelling relief. Yeah. But chain breaking. And also if client oh, is right. buying a new build and we buy their property and they essentially a part exchange, say subject to criteria, but you should be able to also qualify for a stamp duty exemption on that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So we are like, for example, there's a property at the moment where we are selling a property and, and our buyer, we actually, we've developed two properties and the client wants to buy our new build, but they've got property to sell. So we've offered to buy their property, a slight discount, not 20%, you know, smaller discount than that, but just to complete the chain. Yeah. And then if we buy their property, we can then claim the, the relief, which is for them them buying a new build and us buying their property to complete the chain. Okay, brilliant. That's interesting. Obviously, when you're buying these properties, like you said, speed, certainty seems to be a bit a big driver for the sellers. You've obviously got to carry out due diligence like you would do on any transaction, but you've got to do this at speed. What tips would you give to the listeners for carrying out due diligence under a bit of pressure under a bit of time constraint. What are some of the, the big tips that you'd say you need to do? <laughs> the gut, good gut feeling, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, it's probably quite easy for me to say because we value about 1,000 properties a month. Wow. But a lot of it is, again, technology is at the forefront of what we do. We're constantly looking at new ways to speed up, you know, automate, improve our services and our timescales. So one we've started using over the last 12 months is Sprith. You know, straight away, put the postcode, the address into Sprith, get an ordnance survey map extract, you know, look at any restraints, conservation area, look at the square footage if it's linked, if there's an EPC available, look at the size of the plot and, you know, flood risk, things like that. So key things which might immediately just ring alarm bells. 
And then we would also be able to look at comparable data. So what we use on a daily basis is essentially, you know, right move is the property on the market, mm -hmm. right move house prices, has it been sold in the last few years, and what are comparable properties showing on the road. We use right move plus, which we subscribe to, which we can look back, you know, 10 plus years at historic data. We normally start within a quarter of a mile radius of the property we're looking at, you know, starting by the same amount of bedrooms. Yeah. So we're looking at a three bed semi, we'll search, you know, postcode, quarter of a mile radius, three bedroom properties, have a look at lowest price first. And then how does that compare to our property? You know, like for like location, condition, any other constraints that that property's got. Uh, and when it's sold, you know, has there been an adjustment in the market? We're valuing now less than we were properties at the first half of last year, because we all know there was a big impact from that disastrous mini budget. Mm. So we might be looking when it sold actually in May, which was the peak of the market, say 22. Now we're valuing that same property 7% less. Right. Okay. So you are giving a discount across the board of, of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, we yeah. saw you know, a big effect on our own sales since then. Mm. You know, we had to renegotiate on a majority of properties we were selling at the time of the budget. Mm. So, and the same applies now. I still think we're in that period of huge volatility. Yeah, yeah. Don't disagree with that. You, when you're trading, you're not just buying and selling. You've also built a pretty significant portfolio of, of buy-to-let properties as well. What makes you want to hold a property rather than to sell it on? What do you look for in it? So our core business is, is essentially trading, which is what we started out to do. And, and you know, I've always had, again, one, as well, I want to be, you know, offer the full property services, yeah, also be a long-term investment investor and build for the future. So we've got quite a strict criteria on the buy-to-let, which has boded quite well, given what's happened with interest rates and inflation, is that mm -hmm. we look for a minimum of 10% gross yield. Mm -hmm. So we will buy properties which are freehold, so we exclude service charges and ground rents and leases, yeah. uh, and we can get a higher ratio of gross to net rent which are yielding 10%, mainly in northern powerhouse regions or where there's the levelling up agenda. Mm -hmm. So again, regardless of government, you know, we've got Conservatives at the moment, but could quite likely be a Labour government next time. They've all got very strong in the agenda, levelling up. And mm -hmm. um, with the likes of huge infrastructure projects such as HS2, you know, these areas are going to receive significant interest and investment over the foreseeable future. So as, as these areas you know, cater for significant population growth and uh, other people coming into the area, perhaps because of improved transport links, yeah. in turn will come um, more investment in them areas. And are you looking at particular values? Because obviously if you've got a 10% gross yield, but I don't know, rents 100 quid a month, it might be difficult to make it work versus something that's... Uh... I don't know, 10% gross yield of £1,000 a month. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. So so generally it only works on the lower value units. Our, our yeah. portfolio is generally, when we acquired it, were sub-100,000-pound units. Right, okay. Um, you know, in the early days, it was houses in Liverpool for 45, 50 yeah. grand that were rented for four and a half, five thousand pounds a year. And then rents have increased significantly, yeah. as have the property values, where they're now that type of property in, you know, the likes of Anfield and Aintree is now 100, 120,000. But the rents are also, you know, circa 750 a month. So 
we've we've sort of focused on them properties as them opportunities come in if they don't quite suit the trading model we will always look at it with our investment hat on mm-hmm. will that suit the long-term the fund essentially there's been properties over the years where we've had periods where we have just been quite bullish on property and thought actually this is slightly different to the criteria you know it might be yielding eight percent but we quite like the investment credentials of the area for example yeah. midlands and everything that's been going on you know in that growth area so we've we've taken periods where we've slightly altered that path but i think now especially given where base rate is and projections and what's happened over the last 12 months that kind of strict criteria is more important than ever now because that will enable us to hedge inflation and rising uh, rising borrowing rates yeah definitely yeah, it's in- interesting at the moment, isn't it, with all these changes and the, and the rates going up. So, I mean, how are you finding the property market in general at the moment? What are you concerned about? What are you bullish on? What are you bearish on? I think, like we said earlier, I've been, the housing market seems like it's been particularly resilient. I think ultimately we've got you know increasing population, undersupply of property. I think everyone, if you ask 10 people in a room, if they'd like, if they want to own their own home, the majority of them would be saying yes. And I think that's the thing. It's, uh, you know, most people do aspire to own their own property. And therefore, I've always believed strongly in the property market and history will show what's happened with property returns. I think we've seen, we saw that sudden shock after the budget. In our opinion, the market's fallen about 10% from the peak. You know, you could argue it's somewhere between 5 and 10 but my own opinion is generally it's about 10%. I think, you know, rates consistently going up as they have is only dampening consumer confidence further. So we have to be mindful of the potential black swans and headwinds. But I think after we've seen that shock, I've actually kind of seen the market start bouncing back from, Mm. you know, the early part of this year, really, in that not seeing prices grow, but I've seen confidence stability. I'm seeing properties sell. If they're correctly priced, they will sell. They will probably get multiple offers and they will sell for the expected value. I just, at the moment, I'm not bullish in that I'm expecting to exceed my expectations, Mm -hmm. but as long as I can limit my downside and my risk, then I'm bullish to buy. And are you seeing that kind of different areas are different markets? I mean, we're based in London. We definitely saw a pretty sharp fall right around kind of just after that budget. But things do seem to be kind of bouncing back, especially in the houses rather than flats. Those sort of markets, family homes, seem to not be not be back where their peak was, but they've definitely bounced back from the lows um, that they got. But I'm not sure whether that's still the case. For example, you mentioned Northern Powerhouses. We do quite a bit in Manchester. And up there, there doesn't seem to have actually been much of a dip yet. And from our point of view, maybe maybe you found it differently in, in places like Liverpool as well. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think it does definitely come down to like the fundamentals of the local economy. Like you mentioned, Manchester. I love Manchester as a city. It's vibrant. It's got great employment. It's got great infrastructure and technology. You know, I think that whereas some areas they are maybe a lot more deprived and they haven't got that excitement about the city. So I think it always does come down to them, like social demographics of the area. And I think as we've seen, like BBC relocate Manchester and what the after effects and benefits of the area was that, you know, you've got two two great football teams, people on the international stage, they love that. 
So I think there's always been that hype around Manchester and I do, it's the second best city to London. And I think for us, we've definitely seen the areas where there's high yields achievable. So in the, again, it comes really back to the Northern cities where house average house prices are lower, rents have been increasing significantly. Investors who want to stay in property, who want to be an active investor, they have all now diversified their portfolio and they are looking north. We've seen that trend over the last couple of years, but as rates have increased, I now think that's more key than ever because we are just seeing that real trend and demand in them areas because people who never even looked at Manchester areas before are now thinking, well, I'm getting 4.5% in London suburbs Mm. that's netting me 3% and my borrowing cost is 5.5% or I can buy a property in Birmingham, which is yielding 7.5%. And actually, cash on cash, I'm still getting a seven or eight percent return. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you are you thinking then? Actually, I suppose um, another way of looking at it could be: well, if everyone's going north, who who's going to be providing the rental properties in London? And is there possibly an opportunity for rents to shoot up there? I don't know. Well, I think we the exact stats on rental growth in London, but I know generally. In, in England, I'd say we're looking at sort of circa 10% over the last 12 yeah. months. You know, I put a property on the market last week in Birmingham and I think I had 20 applications within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. So it is insane. I've never known rental, you know, prior, and I we got to choose which tenant we want, yeah. you know, and, and you've just got that choice. You almost feel like you've, un, you know, you've under-advertised it. <laughs> you know, like in the property market, you'll be going to seal bids, but that doesn't happen in the rental market, really. <laughs> I don't know. Like you, it's almost getting to that point, isn't it, where you might kind of say, "Look, yeah, final offers." <laughs> I think there is definitely opportunities. Just whether or not the problem is right now is, as an investor, there are so many investment opportunities available. You know, grade A corporate debt bonds. Yeah. You know, I can get even yesterday four point nine percent. I saw on a one year savings account. You know, am I going to get four point nine percent in London on a buy to let at the moment? Well. You don't know, but I guess the other argument yeah. would be: look, it's about total returns, isn't it? If you if the market goes up by two percent, capital appreciation, you're leveraged to seventy five percent. That's an eight percent return on the capital value, and then you've got the income to come along. Yeah, that's it. If you look at the whole IRR, if you like, yeah, that's the thing, and that's why we like property because yeah. you are benefiting. But if you're looking in an environment which you know, the macro environment is very uncertain. Yeah. You know, the pessimistic view is, is there going to be capital growth? Well, there will be if you buy well and if you buy, but then we're looking at, again, houses, flats and all these different scenarios, basically. Absolutely, because that 2% growth, if it's, I mean, if property values go down, I mean, again, and you're leveraged, it magnifies the losses. That's (laughs) it. Yeah, And and like you say, not just have we got what's going on in, in the financial environments, We've also got what's going on regulatory wise. You know, we've had the renters reform bill. We've had the, you know, the leasehold white paper, which has been pushed back. We've now had the renters reform bill, which has been pushed back. You know, the EPC changes, which have been looming over us for the last couple of years. And I'm sure calls me and many other property investors sleepless nights for the men to be mooted now that they're pushing that back to 2028. So it's been a constant barrage of, you know, hype, uncertainty threats, if you like, which has kind of been thinking, well, actually, if I can just put the money in an account and get 4.9% at the moment, you know, or actually buy discounted stocks, 
for example, which you yep. think are cheap, especially were cheap after the mini budget. You know, even the FTSE's bounced back circa 35% this year so far. So, you know, I could have put my money in a FTSE tracker at the end of last year and I'll be sitting on a 35% profit at the moment. Hello, everyone. I, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between six and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again, for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in, other, in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly not easy. And then you wouldn't have to deal with all the headaches either that come along with kind of operating in, in property too. Yeah. Look, you, you've clearly grown your business uh, very well over the last few years. I mean, just, just looking at that marketing budget that started at 5k a week and is now 60k a week. What was the hardest thing about scaling your, your business? Staff is key. Um, you know, I think you're only as good as your team and you can't do it on your own, unfortunately. So delegating becomes more important than ever. So I think staff is absolutely key to offer the best service to your clients. And as a business, you need to be able to have key staff and great staff who are like minded, who are keen to grow, you know, reliable and, you know, tenacious, really. They're not afraid to get stuck in and, and kind of keep helping push to drive forward the business mm -hmm. forward. The other thing I think is, you know, budgets. So, 
you know, it's a, you know, a competitive market space to be seen and heard. You need to continually invest in the business. Mm. So unfortunately, the deals don't just come to you and land on your on your lap. You have to keep finding new channels. You know, mm. you've tried something else. What else can we do? How can we find, you know, get more direct to vendor leads? You know, how can we network more? We obviously had the period of the pandemic, which caused all of us, you know, crazy problems in our businesses that we've had to now catch up from that lost time where maybe we took our foot off the gas for a little while where everything was in turmoil mm. and now we've got the stability back it's now kind of just invest you know make up for lost time yeah absolutely and what would you say the biggest risk to your business is at the moment and what is it that you're doing to mitigate that I think there's a few things we've got so one is definitely lack of opportunities we all want to be you know a very ambitious so i want to keep pushing forward scaling the business you know we want to have as many quality leads as possible and there's a difference between quality and quantity yeah. we could turn the tap on and double triple our leads but it doesn't mean that it's going to get us deals and opportunities is you know you're getting tire kickers yeah you know you're getting more people to come in your shop and they're walking around and walking out again that's not what we want. We need people committing. So it's actually that just getting that balance of, say, quality over quantity. So lack of opportunities. How do we get more? You know, network more. Look at better channels of marketing. You know, employ maybe different marketing agencies or have a change. You know, you might have a difficult conversation. Sorry, it's not working. We need something better. So getting proposals from other agencies, digital marketing agencies, PR agencies, you know, marketing agencies, whatever it might be. Let's put our heads together, brainstorm and tell me how you can add value to my business. The mm. second thing is networking. It's been invaluable. Over the last 12 months, I've spent a lot of my time networking. You know, obviously you and me, Rod, we're in, we're in the portfolio networking group, which has been invaluable. Met some great contacts there. I'm out meeting auctioneers, property agents, property company similar to myself setting up synergies partnerships you know instead of me actually paying for my leads and that cost per acquisition which is circa six thousand pounds i'd rather pay that fee to an introducer yeah you know the other people who are building up their own little business they might live in in a, in the valleys in wales and they're out every day leaflet dropping and they're coming to me and saying jason i haven't got the capital to invest but i love marketing i'm semi-retired i've got some time I want to go out of the weekend and generate some leads. So can we set up a synergy where I find the deals and, and you invest in them? Yeah. And that's what I've successfully been working on and, and developing them partnerships. Um, and the other biggest risk is macro related in terms of rates. You know, that's had a big effect on our bottom line. You know, speak openly since the since the mini budget or probably actually from the second quarter of last year our interest expense has increased by £16,000 a month. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, our monthly debt servicing. We've got a revolving credit facility. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of the properties are tenanted. So we offset that vacant void properties by having income. So there'll be short-term let, whatever it might be, to offset against the interest costs. But there's still a significant increase in cost and still rising. Mm. You know, what one thing, key thing that we've done is that you know as i noticed what rates were increasing quite sharply in kind of q1 last year i went to my lender and said look you know obviously we you know 
cards on the table, we know the path of interest rates. We didn't, in hindsight, expect them to be so severe as they were now, sort of that's 13 consecutive interest rate rises. I said, I want to agree a cap on the interest rate with you. You know, he also knew where they were and looking at some averages and looking at swaps, you know, we, we come to a mutual agreement on a ceiling rate. So we fixed our rates for 12 right. months, which was great. You know, I also had started putting the wheels in motion to refinance 40 properties on five-year fix. So luckily I secured the five-year fixed at four and a half percent. You know, today I'd be looking at circa five and a half percent. Yeah. So yeah. I managed to get my interest rate certainty, which is key to our business. We need stability. Mm -hmm. You know, the investor said, well, you can have a cheaper rate, but it will be floating. And I said, no, I'd rather pay more, but I want fixed. Yeah, you need to know what, you, what you've got coming out because otherwise, it. like you said, budgeting becomes impossible. And to be honest, I looked back yesterday after the other the new interest rate rise. And if I hadn't agreed that fixed rate, the extra expense to our business today would be an additional £12,000. Yeah, so brilliant. So I'd be £28,000 worse off than we were in Q122. Wow. It's in such a short space of time as well. It's crazy. And that is, you know, unfortunately for all of us property investors yeah. at the moment, it has been a game changer, you know, and a huge effect on the viability of deals, you know, looking at the sensitivity analysis of how that deal might look and, and also how buyers may see it because they're also struggling with affordability. You know, and one thing I'd, sort of touch on as well going back to the areas that we invest in long term and also lower value units our average purchase price is 130,000 so we do really focus on that lower end of the market and we buy multiple portfolios where the aggregate is much higher than but on an individual basis circa 130,000 so i think there'll be a trend for the foreseeable future in downsizers you know people offsetting they can no longer afford the increased monthly payments but what, so what they do is they downsize and then they have equal payments to they have before. So I think we are going to see a trend in that. Anyone whose you know, pensions have performed badly and stock portfolio or other income portfolio, they're now looking to downsize to put cash in the bank. We all want to be liquid. You know, cash is king, more so in a downturning market. Interesting stuff there. You kind of talked about your buyers and um, when you're, we talked about kind of who the typical person is that's selling to you what about who you're who you're then selling to are you selling still a lot in auctions are you selling to end users are you selling to investors what's the avatar like there quite a big split so with about 20 percent of what we sell in auction normally when the property is a little bit more quirky or we just want that speedy transaction and the rest of it is private treaty, mainly through agents. We do have an agency as well called Move Places. So mm -hmm. we've got the synergy there. So we cross sell our services to our agency, uh, which is essentially a quick sale agency, similar to an auction, where we try and get committed buyers to exchange within 30 days. Yeah. And so we will sell partly. Some might go through that agency with a disclosure that, you know, it's being sold by us. We also then sell the rest of it through local agents, and that also helps us build relationships. We instruct two agents on a winner-takes-all basis and ask for the future that the agent thinks of us when they come across a short lease, a problem property, regulated tenancy, abortive sale, you know, or someone who just requires an urgent sale. We do good repeat business through that work of agents. Yeah. 
And as I say, a small amount of it also goes through the auctioneer. So however we think is the best way that we think of ourselves as professional asset managers. Yeah. You know, we buy problems or we buy opportunities. We problem solve. We enhance the value. And then we sell as quickly as possible. And there might be multiple scenarios we have to do to achieve that outcome. But the main goal is asset manage, you know, reposition, resell. Brilliant. Jason, that's been so interesting getting to know a bit more about your business. Is there anything else you want the audience to know about you or any contact details if someone's maybe considering selling a property and, and wanting your services? Yeah, so I think all I would say is, look, Open Property Group is a professional house buying company. Um, you know, as a business, we've completed over a thousand transactions. We've been established since 2014. We've got, you know, significant portfolio of well-let residential property. Um, we buy all types of property, say mainly vacant, tenanted problem, you know, short leases, shops and upper parts and chain breaking. And we're keen to speak to any agents, you know, individuals who might require our service. You know, our business is built on trust. You know, we're reliable. We've got an unrivaled reputation and we're here for the long term. We're not a business who's changing our name every year and, you know, chopping in and out the market. Ultimately, I'm building this business for my future, for my children and for everyone in the office. So say the company's Open Property Group, the domain name is openpropertygroup.com. So if anyone does want to reach out, you know, have a chat or use our services, it'll be great to hear from you. Brilliant. And we'll make sure we've got a link to that in the show notes as well. Brilliant, Jason. Thanks so much. And um, hopefully we'll get to catch up again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rod. Um, look forward to speaking soon.